You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to. Do not to not elsewhere. Not elsewhere. 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 Classified. Welcome to Not Elsewhere Classified, a podcast about the medical coding, health information technology, and clinical documentation improvement community. I'm your host, Brian Kui. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 24. Today on the podcast, we have Karen Tolbert from Crafty Twins and Doubles. No, that's not a name of a consulting company, but it's a name of a company for crafts. Uh, in this case, she makes memory bears, and you'll find out more in today's episode. So we talk about her journey into medical coding, of course. Uh, we talk about her certification process as she went along in her experience in different coding specialties. We also talk about her journey into creating her business, Crafty Twins and Doubles. We talk about the products she makes. But most importantly, we went through a unexpected conversation about business, uh, how to control your inventory, how to find your niche, how to find out if you need to expand or not, and so much more. But before we begin today's episode, I do want to give a shout out to ACDIS, Association of Clinical Documentation Improvement Specialists. Uh, I was recently invited to be on their radio show, ACDIS Radio, hosted by Brian Murphy and co-hosted by Alan Frady. It was a fun experience where I had the opportunity to talk about leveraging your professional brand through social media in CDI. What was different about this radio podcast was that I was only limited down to 30 minutes, but that's fine. Uh, I did my best trying to give my abridged version of my story and, and provided some tips that can help you in leveraging your professional brand. So if you listen to the episode and you're coming in listening to this podcast episode, I do want to welcome you all. If you haven't already, please listen to my interview with Brian Murphy. That's episode number 23. Also, make sure to go to Apple iTunes and give us a rating and a review. Also, check out our supporting partners by going to medicalcodinggeek.com slash promos and also medicalcodinggeek.com slash partners. So without further ado, here is my interview with Karen Tolbert. Enjoy. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. So don't worry. Any anything like if you just just take your time. Uh, all right. So uh, welcome everybody to the Not Elsewhere Classified podcast. I have here on today's episode Karen Tolbert. Karen, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good, Brian. How are you? I'm good. All right. So we just real we were just talking earlier. I just realized you're from South Carolina, but you just told me that. Uh, you just caught the the outer edges and you're doing just fine. Yes, we did not lose power and we didn't flood, but everybody north and east of us are having serious issues. Yeah, I mean, especially with hurricanes, it's just it's a matter of just a slight change, you know, in direction that, yeah. that can make a big difference. All right, so oh yeah, so. Karen, we have Karen here today. Uh, how we connected, it was through our Facebook group, Medical Coding Geeks, and it, it came from just a post that I decided to create 
to engage the audience. Uh, I think it was in line of asking about, do you have a side hustle? So for the people that are wondering, well, what's a side hustle? We'd understand what hustle is, uh, but it's nothing bad. Uh, but if, if it's, a, <laughs> it's not like you're hustling something, but on the side, something, a side hustle is something that you have on the side uh, that is not necessarily full-time per se, but it's something on the side, like a part-time, uh, something on your own that you do. So for me, I have a full-time job, but this has become my side hustle. So I asked the question, you know, what side hustle do you have? And we had a lot on that post, if I remember, there was a lot of people yeah. who were posting a lot of stuff, like people who uh, 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 bake cakes, um do a lot of crafts. There was a lot of crafts. There was a lot of people who were doing some of the businesses like the MLMs. That's fine. But one one yeah. post that caught my eye was yours. And you say you do uh, crafts, but specifically with bears. Yes, we, um, we do memory bears. We make a bear out of someone's article of clothing, T-shirts, bathrobes, um, polo shirts, sweatshirts. Um, it can be a celebration, mm -hmm. like, you know, college graduation, mm -hmm. or it can be a remembrance, you know, if you lost grandma or you lost grandpa. Um, so it can it can be a, a, you know, different kind of memory for different people. All right, nice. So before we, we continue on with uh, talking about your uh, memory bearers and also your business, uh, let's mm -hmm. start off from the coding perspective, <laughs> right? So, of course, this is a okay. medical coding industry, health information, CDI uh, industry podcast. So what's nice about mm -hmm. this podcast is I like to pull people in the industry, but also draw out some of the things that are not necessarily coding related, but uh, like like certain artistic and creative skills that I something that I always like to draw out of people out there in the mm -hmm. industry. So let's start off from the top. Uh, let the audience know where did you come from and how did you get to where you're at today? Um, well, I am a, uh, my husband's retired Navy. So mm -hmm. as we traveled, I had to change jobs. And when he retired and we were in uh, Port St. Lucie, Florida, I got to know um, a lady and got a job at her office for an eye doctor and I started working the desk well I did not know at the time that I was coding all I knew was the tickets were going in and I had these numbers and these letters and I put everything in and as we were literally as we were checking the patient out we were coding putting it in the system and um, out the door they were going so she's talking to me one day about um, the coding and I'm like what are we, what is a coder? <laughs> she, goes, she goes, well, that's what you're doing. And I go, oh my gosh, this is like seriously a job for this. So I started looking into it and she goes, you're really good at it. She said, you need to get certified. And I'm like, oh, okay. So um, we ended up moving because, you know, the husband works with aircraft. So you don't always get to stay too many places very long. So when we moved, I got my books. I took some classes, I started studying, and I got my CPC in about 2000. So then uh, that's how I got started with just the basics. 
Okay. And then from there, uh, did you do anything else? I note you have other certifications. How did you get to those other certifications? <laughs> well, um, as I tr- as I changed jobs, then of course in Nebraska, I worked for a small wow. hospital. So you went from, from you went from Florida to Nebraska. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the daughter the daughter was happy. Um, so I started working at the little hospital. We had a twenty five bed critical access hospital, and there was two of us coders, and we literally coded everything from the four clinics, the outpatient specialty and ancillary services and the inpatient facility and provider. That's how small it was. Two of us could do this. And so I thought, well, I'm coding hospital. I'll get my CPCH. So in 2005, I got my H, which then, of course, later, the American Academy of Professional Coders changed it to COC, much to my dismay. But um, so then in that was 2005, then I moved or we moved down here to South Carolina. Carolina. We're just outside of Greenville. And I um, ended up working OBGYN after I had done a contract job in Arkansas for six months. I would travel back and forth. Well, they had me working OB out there with the emergency room stuff. And then when I got here, I started working for a bigger hospital, but in the physician office. And I did nothing but OBGYN surgeries and office visits for three years. So I thought, well, I might as well get the certification because that's all I do. So about the time I got that certification, the COBGC, then (laughs) they changed my job. So I started doing other parts of the office visits, neurology, and uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. things like that. And so I ended up, we were all remote by then, and I got a side job part-time working for an urgent care company, and it was a lot of E&M. Well, I didn't feel like I was very strong with E&M. So I thought, well, to boost my skills, I'll get the CEMC certification. Oh, wow. <laughs> Why not? Yes, glutton for punishment. Yeah. Oh, that's so, nice. um, yeah, so that's my latest um, and probably my last certification. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> now that I have to get 48 CEUs wow. on a regular basis. Yeah. Wow. Um, the only other one I would even entertain would be uh, auditing. Okay. All right. But, yeah. So, here I am. When did you get your uh, OBGYN certification? Oh, when? Let me see. That was, I think that was about about three years ago. Okay. So, 2015. And then when did you obtain the, the CEMC? Oh, that one I got... Um, but a year, year and a half ago. Okay. All right. So 2006, 2017. All right. So it sounds like you got like a, a progressive career starting off with the, with the basic CPC. And what's nice about what you just told me is, is how you adapted based upon the specialty. And, and when you changed into that specialty, then you decided to get the certification, right? 
And then as you jumped, right. you got another one. As you jumped, you got another one. So one thing that I have always seen, especially in social media and the Facebook groups and the LinkedIn groups, is people just just grabbing a whole bunch of certifications, but they have no experience in it, you know? Uh, right. Or they gra- grab a whole bunch of them. But, I mean, when I look at their at least with their LinkedIn profile has not, they're not doing anything with their certification, you know? Uh, yeah. So yeah. it's, it's, it's nice to see where, where people, well, especially like yourself, you know, they get into the specialty. I, and I understand that it can be difficult, especially, you know, in trying to get experience, but like it would look weird to be certified without experience but it'd be much better to be experienced and then get certified. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, I I agree because there's no sense sitting for these tests. I mean, they are not easy by any stretch of the imagination. And it's like, as I get older, they're harder to sit for, you know, to sit for five and a half hours. But um, I mean, to me, it's like you're going to do better on the test if you have some experience in the area. And I've always been around or been exposed to OBGYN. So I thought, well, you know, I I inevitably end up using it at whatever job I do. I mean, like right now I code urgent care full time. I changed from the little hospital and I still, we run across OB questions or the other coders will be like, oh, you know, what do we do with this? Or, you know, can we code that in the urgent care setting? And you know, things like that. And I have a girlfriend who has a full-time job coding OB, but she's not certified. And she'll still call and ask advice like on surgeries and stuff because, you know, it just, it just, the experience makes such a difference in your reference point. Right. And and at least for me, I mean, I, I did clinical documentation improvement for like nine years and never even thought about getting a certification until you know it seemed like more the industry was asking for it i didn't need it i i, I could be been happy without it but the industry was like oh you got to be certified in order to transition to the next step or whatever position so i got it but when i prepared for it i you know you look through you it, it may have happened to you where you look through the study material you're like i know that <laughs> Why am I even bothering with it? Uh, but in your in your preparation, probably it was more like let me get the finer details that I may not know, and then integrate it with what I know. Yes, kind of kind of fill in the blanks of the circle, kind of make it all complete. You know, um, especially like the E and M coding. I you know surprisingly the OBGYN test had a lot of E and M on it. Oh wow, and. I thought, well, okay, I got through that test. I should be able to get through the CEMC. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> it just takes you from one, I guess, pool of questions to the next pool of questions. It's just a nice transition. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that it's yeah. contiguous, you know, uh, utilizing the basics of coding uh, in all the tests. What I was going back to is the are those people that just grab a bunch of certifications. And to me, compared to people that have experience and take the certification, it seems like they're on an uphill climb trying to remember, you know, try to understand a whole entire specialty rather than just the piece, as we talked about earlier. So that's that's the one thing I mentioned. So 
you know, you have to think about, especially if you're trying to get a certification, is it something that you need? Is it something that you're going to use? Because <laughs> it's a major investment. Um, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, it's especially, a lot of time and energy. Yeah, and when you do, especially, I guess, certifications that are part of different associations, that's another question to think about, too. Um, you know, if, for example, the CDI has a CDIP for AHIMA, there's one for ACDIS, you know, people keep on asking me what's the difference. I just say, do you want to be part of one association or another? It's the same question as, you know, AAPC and AHIMA. Which one do you prefer? You know, it's to me, it's not, there's no difference. I mean, I understand AAPC is more on the outpatient and physician side and profi side. And AHIMA kind of gears itself more to uh, facility, right? And not so much, you know, out, you know, facility, uh, um, profi and, and, uh, outpatient, but regardless, it's, it's still there. You know, it's the transition of just the basic coding knowledge is there is just one was more specialized than the other. Right. Right. And I had a recruiter tell me that I needed to get certified and, and be dual, you know, AHIMA and AAPC. And I said, I said, I personally don't know that I could keep up with all that. I said, I just had, I kind of went to the AAPC side and I'm like, I'm just going to stay there. And I've managed to stay employed for, you know, the last 18 years of the coder. So I think I'm doing okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've been, I mean, I'm, I'm a sole member of AHIMA, but I've crossed over into networking with people from AAPC. Um, most recently I did speaking events for Daytona beach and also, um, uh, the space coast down in South Florida by, I'm South Florida down by Cocoa beach. Uh, and you know, they're not, they're, they're just, just great people. You know, they, they have the same interest. They say, you know, there's nothing different. It seems like when people think a AHIMA and APC, there seems like, oh, they're different people. But I just took the chance over, you know, to cross over and to connect with people from AAPC. And even though I don't have an AAPC credential, that was one of my uh, reservations. Like, do I even need to have one? They said, no, they just need the knowledge. You know, it's still the same right. no matter what association yeah. you're part of. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, and networking is networking. I mean, you you want to draw from a group of people. You can't code alone. And, you know, I try to tell young coders that. I said, you have to go to meetings. You have to network with other people because you want to draw on their knowledge and their experience. You know, you can't, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You, you've got other people that you can draw from and get, you know, get advice from. Yeah. There was a question recently in our, in the Medical Coding Geeks group that, um, was asking, do you guys code in groups? And I've never heard, of, <laughs> you know, I've never heard of that where people code in groups. But, but as far as what coders do, they can code in groups by meetings. Uh, and what you talk about, people, uh, your colleagues reaching out to you and uh, talking about certain cases. And to me, when you work like that, especially in case discussion. In where two people, two or more people are involved, uh, you can get so much more. Number one, getting the case coded, but also learning from each other, seeing another uh, view of how to approach a certain case. Right, because like when I started, you know, we still did paper, handwritten records, 
and the rule from you know CMS and everybody when you get audited, the rule was if three people, three coders, could agree on what it said, then that's what you went with. Because it's like if three people can't read the doctor's handwriting and come up with the same idea, same diagnosis, same procedure, then you got to go back and the doctor has to redo his notes or, you know, it's going to get denied or whatever. So that's where the group thing came from because it's like, okay, if three people agree, then it goes. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's a nice policy, <laughs> getting it to three people. But it seems like it also on the flip side, it could be a tough policy. Like what happens if there's yeah. disagreement? <laughs> you know, I'm sure there were there have been times in regard in regards to that. Then seniority rules. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then we play that game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's cool. Who's All right. got more credentials and who's got more time? <laughs> that, that works. All right. Okay, so is there anything else? Um, so you're, you're, you're not moving on. You're not moving on from where you're at. There's no, like, because the way you sound like, I mean, you could start your own coding business or maybe a consulting firm or something like that. Have you ever thought about doing that? Um, yeah, actually, um, I have, but, um, I would probably have to give up my crafting to do that. (laughs) So I, so for the time being, but yeah, my, you know, as I get older and with all my experience, it's like, I really should be like at an auditor or, you know, some kind of hierarchy, you know, managerial something, but I never, um, I didn't do college. I went to a two-year program, got my legal secretary, and I never got a bachelor's, never got a, a, you know, associates or anything like that. And so for me, the opportunities have to come from my certifications and my time in the chair instead of, you know, the lambskin on the wall. So when my daughter graduated high school, I said, you really need to go get your bachelor's because you'd be surprised how useful that little piece of paper will become. Well, she ended up getting a job with a auditing company. They started her out, you know, kind of basic. She works with an auditor entering information and stuff, and they want her to get certified because they want to train her to become an auditor. And I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) You're jealous. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, I just looked at her and she goes, I should have paid more attention to what you do. I said, well, I can always be your study buddy. But yeah, it's like, I mean, she just like jumps right to that. And she's 28 years old. And she's going to, you know, by the time she's 30, she should be an auditor. And, you know, doing what I'm still trying to do, <laughs> to work into. Yeah. But, you know. It, it, it does take time. And, of course, it takes that opportunity uh, to step into the auditing role. It sounds like you have it there. It's just the opportunity needs to come by. Right, right. Yeah, someday it'll show up. And until then, you know, I'm doing good with what I'm doing. And I enjoy the urgent care. You never know what you're going to run across. People go to the doctor for the silliest of reasons. And um, and then the more serious of reasons. So um, that's kind of the interesting thing about urgent care. Yeah. And and and. I, and also, in today's industry, you see a lot of freestanding urgent cares popping up in a lot of areas. I know, at least down here where I live in Central Florida, there's a lot of urgent cares. I remember those pop up like crazy. Um, but most recently, you see a lot of freestanding 
uh, ERs, where they're not attached to a hospital, but they're just a, a totally separate entity as an emergency room. And if you know if it stays in the emergency room, they can discharge from the from the emergency room. That's fine. If it needs to be escalated to where they need an inpatient hospitalization, then they would transport the patient out. Now, do you have you ever worked with emergency room? Um, I've done an emer- I did a contract doing emergency coding um, profi out in Arkansas when we first moved down here. So I would travel out ten days, come home for four days, and then go back and forth. So I coded um, ER um, for almost six months straight, and then they found out that I had experience with OBGYN oh. coding. <laughs> and they're like, hey, we need some help over here. I'm like, oh, okay. So, um, you know, I'm like, I'm a contract coder. You tell me what you want me to code, and I'll code it. And uh, so that was kind of interesting. But, um, yeah, the ER is definitely um, uh It's like a step up from the urgent care. Um, The company I work for now, we actually have four markets of urgent care, um, West Coast, California, Oregon, and Washington. And then I'm the lead code on Midwest, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and um, Missouri. And then we have Connecticut, Tennessee, and then we have New York and New Jersey. So um, we do the billing for a... I don't know if you want to call it a chain, um, a group of urgent cares that are all tied together. So, like, we take care of their, um, you know, the software and stuff so that all the billing and notes and everything is all the same uh, program. And then and then we can do their billing because they all just tap into the same kind of system. So we're, like, interchangeable. I mean, I can code California's. I can code Connecticut. I can code... New York, New Jersey, you know, I can code any of the markets because we're all in the same system. Oh, that's nice. So uh, mm-hmm. what's what's advantageous of that is like you're you're not stuck in, in one type of facility or one type of location. The One of the upsides on that is that you get to see a wide variety of documentation, not just from a group of physicians from one location, but a whole variety. So you'll see, uh, and I do it on my end. I'm also an auditor, uh, and I I I do a lot of audits from. I mean, I used to do just South Florida, <laughs> right? And now I'm doing from all over the nation. You're talking about like Washington, from Washington all the way to New York to Texas, all over, and you see. Even though it's an electronic format, you see the similarities, but also you can see a lot of differences. What are what are some of the things that are they're talking about out on the West Coast? What are they talking about out in the East Coast? What are the documentation styles that you see? Um, and definitely those coding applications can can abide in there too. Oh yeah, I mean, like Washington and Oregon, we get hikers who are twisting their ankles on the rocks all the time. And then in New York and New Jersey, you know, you have the elderly who are twisting their ankles, falling down the steps of the subway. So, you know, it's it's very interesting how regional the injuries kind of are and how they happen. But yet they're just a little quirky different because of where they're at. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to, to get, you know, just not just go from one location, but all over the place. So where does crafting come in? To all of this mix, <laughs> which is very, which to me is like you, you've been a coder, but at some point, where did crafting 
become, I guess, as we talked about earlier, the side hustle for you? Uh, let's see. Well, I, I mean, I've sewn. I grew up with, you know, my mom would knit. My grandma could sew. She could crochet. So everybody in the family has been sort of crafty, you know, from the get-go. But when my husband and I got married, um, he's very observant. And our first wedding anniversary, he bought me a Singer sewing machine, which I still own and still can use. <clears throat> my repair guy was... Um, absolutely impressed that I still had this machine um, and it still works. So it started um, our first wedding anniversary in Iceland. We were stationed at NAS Reykjavik, or Keflavik in Reykjavik, Iceland. And I started doing sewing and just little crafty stuff to try to stay busy and, you know, fixing hemming pants, whatever people kind of discover you have a sewing machine and, you know, pretty soon you got stacks of stuff to fix. But um, so, yeah, so it just kind of got started from there. And when we, it, wherever we've moved, I mean, the sewing machine's never put away. And so when we moved to Nebraska and I was back by my twin sister again. Um, oh, so you have a twin sister. Twin sister. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yes. That's where the name comes from. Ah, so okay. when she and I were back together within, you know, the zip code, um, we started sewing and doing stuff together. And a friend of hers asked for something to be made out of her father's flannel shirts. So we started researching like different animals or a pillow or a blanket or whatever. Well, there's eight children plus spouses, plus grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. So it had to be something that could be made out of a single shirt and portable and user-friendly, washable. And so we came upon the idea for the bear, and we started making her two bears at a time. And I think we ended up making 24 bears. Wow. <laughs> out, of one, out of one shirt? And, uh, flannel shirts. Mm-hmm. Her dad wore nothing but flannel oh, okay. shirts. You know, he's a farmer shirts. in Nebraska, mm-hmm. and that was his that was his shirt, and that's what he was known for. And they had like a whole dresser full of flannel shirts. So we just, you know, every once a month or something, she'd bring us two shirts, and we'd make two bears, and then she'd bring two more and two more, and pretty soon it just kind of went from there. And other people heard about it, and. Um, we should have kept track better. We didn't inventory the bears very well, but we've estimated we've made over 400 memory bears. Wow. Over, years. Wow. over how many years? <laughs> um, we incorporated in 2008. So uh-huh. this is our 10th year in business. Oh, 10th year. So how many, I'm sorry, how many bears did you make over how many years? Um, we estimate at 400. 400? Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. And then, so... Mm-hmm. F- let me ask this question. Does your twin do coding? <laughs> <laughs> um, she wants to. She oh, okay. um, tried years ago, and some unscrupulous business thing um, talked, you know, back when you they said you could start a business and you didn't have to have experience and blah, blah, blah. 
and um, kind of ripped her off. So she went back to being just, you know, a normal secretary, executive assistant. And then I got into coding. Well, now over the years, and she's seen what I do and that I'm home. And she's like, I really want to do that. So when my girlfriend gets her instructor certification and gets started, she um, wants to take the class and become a coder. Okay. All right. So you, and and I think you jumped into where you got incorporated in 2008. Mm -hmm. What made the decision to, to become a business at that point? I know the 400 bears probably would have been, (laughs) would have been it. Uh, but what, like, okay, once you reach that 400 bears, then what? Well, we started making other items. Like we kind of focused on like kitchen you know, home things, because we thought, well, if we're going to do something, we need to, like, stay in a niche. And so, you know, because it's like if you start spreading out, then you get too diluted and it's too hard of an audience and you you end up with a lot of stuff that doesn't sell. So we stuck with kitchen things and we kind of try to do round things. So we have the um, we have the potato steamers that are round and we have the. Um, the we do we mitts and they're either uh nine inch circles it's a it's like a pot holder or we call them juniors they're like an oval and they're like the size of your hand and then um we do tea towels with round appliques of the different fabrics because when you have scraps you have to do something with the scraps you don't want to waste it so we um, found a company that we get um cotton 100% cotton tea towels from and then we applique so that they match the other items that we make and um now you you mentioned potato steamers now I was I'm looking mm -hmm. at your website by the way for those that are listening it's crafty twins and doubles.com and that's the reason why it's called that because she has has a twin I didn't I didn't realize uh, until she mentioned it and it's Yes, crafty with a K because it's Karen and Catherine. Ah, nice. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Now on your website, just just one thing that keeps on popping up is is that one is is like a circular, um, uh, I guess product, and it has a potato mm-hmm. in it. So you call that the potato yes. steamer. How would you? How, a- what do you do with that? <laughs> okay, so the potato steamer is all cotton, and it has um, very specific cotton batting that it has to be the good batting no scrim no glue no seeds nothing like that because you don't want it flammable Um, that's what i was wondering (laughs) (laughs) so you wash and stab your potato and you can put it inside under the flaps so it's not a bag like you can buy at walmart it's actually a circle and the pattern that we bought you can warm up tortilla shells or you can do potatoes, sweet potatoes, and things like that. So you slide in a wet potato under each side. You can do like up to four. You can do one. It just doesn't matter. And you microwave it. In about two, three minutes, you'll have a perfect fluffy potato with no hard spot in the middle. And you don't have to turn the oven on for an hour. And you don't have to do tin foil, And you... Don't put plastic on it in the microwave so you don't get the chemicals leaching. It's just plain cotton fabric, and you can rinse it out 
and, you know, just keep reusing it. And um, they're amazing. Once you do, and then you can pick up the steamer on the edge of the fabric and take your hot potato out without burning your fingers. Yeah, that's what I was, I was like, they're hot, they're hot. I was like, what is that? And and first of all, you know, that's what I do. I put, you know, I turned on that big oven and put it up to whatever temperature. And then you got to wait and you got to wait and you got you got to wait and, and it's not going to be any any good. So this looks like a wonderful and then the tor- tor- the, the tortilla thing. I, I like that, too, because sometimes when I have something, I need to make something quick. I just throw the tortilla in the oven an oven in the microwave but never thought about steaming because I know when you put it in the microwave, there could be uh, a chance of it drying out in certain areas. Right, right. And you just have to make sure the glass is clean because you don't want any kind of butter or anything greasy on it because then that, you know, that'll compromise your fabric. And it can also start on fire, which my aunt found out <laughs> oh, the no. hard way. So we had to replace her potato steamer because she, she uh, lit hers on fire. She goes... Well, there was butter, and we're like, yeah, that's flammable. So, um, but anyway, so she learned her lesson. She doesn't do that now, but um, but yeah, you can warm up like cornbread muffins. Um, you can keep muffins warm in the potato steamer. Um, there's just something about the cotton and the cotton batting. Um, they're super versatile. I know people buy them for their college kids. I had one at work. I could make a baked potato at work and eat it and still have um, time left over in my half-hour lunch break when I used to work in the office, you know. So you can have something healthy and warm to eat without having to chase down to the fast food place, um, you know. And it's perfect for those that are that are that are remote workers too. You know, they you, you just can't because there are times. And I I just recently transitioned to remote work, and before I used to used to work in the hospital, um, it was just easy to run to the cafeteria and get something. Now that you're home, I mean, you can't just drive out and go get something, come back. Uh, you have to do your grocery shopping and and do all the cooking there. And and for me, I only have like a thirty minute break, so. You know, on top of that, my kids are at home uh, doing virtual school, so I have to feed them too. <laughs> so, so that 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 potato idea is definitely that that just like I I need one of those because you know just here here just put it in the oven two minutes you guys eat all right so uh, yeah that's a in the wonderful microwave and the and the that's the brilliant thing is the kids can make a potato or a regular potato or a sweet potato or warm up a muffin, they can do it themselves as long as there's no butter involved, um, you know, because it's it's so user-friendly, and then they're not going to burn their hands trying to pull the potato out. Right. There's, there's a lot of things yeah. that can be done with that. Now, you mentioned niche, <laughs> niche or niche, um, yes. which is very good because uh, especially for those that are starting a business, and I think I talked about it with my um, the person that I, ta- ta- that I interviewed last time, um, was about a niche, right? So once you stay in a niche uh, and you talked about expansion, uh, sometimes people, when they expand, it becomes a bit overwhelming. So like for me, uh, you know, I started out in, in doing tutoring and then just expanded out to creating content and then just sticking with podcasts. And there was at a moment in time, which still is on the 
on 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 the idea block is just continuing on to creating blogs and just turning it into a, a media type of thing. But of course, when you when I started to start moving forward, then it just became a bit more overwhelming. So like in your niche, you know, where where did you draw the line like okay, I'm just going to stick with this or what what point in your product selection or your pro, your product line where did you draw that line? Like, I'm not going to go beyond that. Well, um, we started doing the bowl cozies, which um, it sort of looks like a um, a tulip, and you set your bowl down inside of it. So, like, if you're holding a hot cup of soup or a bowl of ice cream, um, we started making those, and then people were like, oh, can you make me a quilt? And mm. it's like, no, <laughs> quilts are... <laughs> Sorry, um, quilts are a whole nother realm of sewing. Um, you know, we we started doing the, the bunnies because we had the scraps left over from the bears. So we do the small bunnies because it's easy for kids to hold on to, they're washable, and then it uses up our scraps. We make um, the tea towel circles out of the scraps left over from the um, the microwave mitts, you know, the potholders or the bowl cozies, because then we don't waste those scraps. Um, you know, so as a small business, you have to kind of think, okay, what can I do with what's right in front of me? And it's like the little um, sewing kit jars. The tops of those, uh, we use a little tiny half pint mason jars, and then we do a poof on the top and put a piece of fabric over it. Well, those are also from scraps. So we try to utilize everything we have. So if it doesn't fit within, you know, like buying a, a six-yard piece of fabric to make a set of um, a series of like the two sizes of bowl cozies and the mitts and then the tea towels and maybe bunnies or something like that, um, we just kind of stay towards the kitchen and a little tiny bit to the babies. Um, we've tried a little blanket thing, and there's so much competition that we've backed off and we're like, nope, you know what? The bunnies are scraps from the bears, so we'll leave that because um, we make cash and carry bears out of um, like the minky fleece. It's super, super soft and fluffy. Um, but that's as far outside of the kitchen as we've gotten but that kind of ties into the memory bears like I had a lady there's a picture on the website of a whole bunch of plaid bunnies with the little rosette by the ear and then two bears well she only had three articles of clothing but she wanted a bear for herself and a bear for her husband from each of their mothers but then they had um I think they had one or two kids each and then a couple of grandchildren. And she's like, you know, what could we do with um, the other shirt or the scraps that we could still make something for the grandchild? And she's standing there looking at my table at one of the craft shows I was at. She's like, oh, my gosh. She goes, a bunny. So we, So I have this picture from on the couch with, like, I don't know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like, 10 bunnies and two bears. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see it. It's <laughs> so really nice. it's, you know, so we kind of stay in that grouping, okay. cooking or the animals. Okay. All right. That's nice. And how do you, 
how did you begin to start branching out and promoting what you do? Um, well, we tried to just take advantage of any um, free media, free marketing that we could. So word of mouth, um, you know, we used to have stuff sit on our desks at the little hospital we worked at because we both worked at the small um, hospital in Nebraska. So then people got to know. And then the hospital actually hosted a small craft show um, to raise money for, I don't know if it was Heart Health Month or something. So they put an email out to any employee that did, you know, a side hustle and wanted to have a table that they could come promote their stuff. So um, so we did a table there, and then people got to know us in the in the community, and then the different churches were doing craft shows. And so as, as people we worked with or people we met or our husbands worked with, they'd be like, hey, our church is having a show. Can, you know, you want to come get a table? So we started doing that, and, um, you know, and then, of course, um, Vistaprint and our business cards and everything. So um, we just kind of really started out by handing out hundreds of business cards and um, and just, you know, word of mouth, things like that. And we had T-shirts made, so we would wear our Crafty Twins T-shirts and <laughs> nice. people would ask us about Memory Bears. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now as the media has come about, you know, we've taken advantage of you know, Twitter and Instagram, and um, we're still testing the water in Etsy and um, Pinterest and, you know, things like that. It's like we we like to do any kind of guerrilla marketing we can nice. because okay. it's more cost effective for a small business. Right. I like that. Guerrilla marketing. <laughs> That's surprising <laughs> that came out of you. Yeah. So, so I like how I like how you've, you know, turned your... Uh, just something you've done, you know, in your past and turned it into something uh, that is, I guess, a side hustle. And then along the way, I mean, those marketing techniques that you just mentioned, guerrilla marketing, social media, is that something you had to learn on the fly or is this something that you knew or or where did you get the ideas of doing that? um, We've kind of learned on the fly and my daughter is very technically savvy she's a super whiz with the computer and stuff so she kind of got us going and um we've had our GoDaddy website for pretty much the whole 10 years but it's hard for us to have the website to sell off of because everything changes, you know, the fabrics change, the colors change, you know, we, we don't like mass produce anything. We try to change up the colors seasonally and, you know, we don't want 50 of the same potholder out there because not everybody wants the same thing. So we kind of do small quantities, but we utilize the website for information and pictures and like our schedule for craft shows and where we're going to be at and people can get a hold of us through the website and go, hey, do you have any blue potholders? Do you have any blue bowl cozies? And then we can text the picture and go, this is what I've got. And they'll be like, okay, yes, I want that. Or no, it's not the right color or, you know, things like that. So we've um, we've always kind of been like 
we can do things long distance. I mean, I got a call from a lady in Ohio who ordered um, 12 sets of bowl cozies and mitts, both sizes, for eight um, girls in the family, like daughter-in-laws and daughters and stuff. And all she ever saw was our um, website. And she goes, I want those. And we're like, okay. But I think she was related to somebody that I had worked with in Greenville. (laughs) Okay. So so she's like, yes, it's quality and yes, order it. So so I get a phone call like that out of the blue. I actually got a call last year from an old customer in Nebraska who still had our business card from when we first started. (laughs) So, yeah, that's why my phone number can't change because I have thousands of business cards out there. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, I got bet. So I, I like how, um, what was I going to say, that you, you you have a firm line where you don't want to cross. You know, you don't want to mm-hmm. be too big, but you don't want to be too small. And I like how mm-hmm. you you establish a certain control. Now, I, I think we talked about this earlier before we recorded uh, my wife also does crafts, so she does a lot of the vinyl stuff. Um, it was interesting to see how, to me, like when she started doing the crafts, it was more because she, she's a registered nurse. She works in the ER at night, and so you know that can definitely be stressful. So she looked into cr- doing some form of crafts uh, as a form of therapy, uh, just to just to get her mind out of you know out of the out of the hospital, um, and. Eventually, she caught on to doing um, things with Run Disney, and you see a lot of the costumes and a lot of the shirts, so she decided to go into that and combine a lot of the crafts, and she does a lot of the vinyl, and all of a sudden, you know, (laughs) she just got big, and then she needed help, like, creating things like that. I said, don't. You don't need a website, you know, and so she she made it like more of just interaction within Facebook groups. Uh, so I don't, that could be another option if, if you haven't done that already to go into Facebook group specific craft specific vase, uh, Facebook groups and kind of message the people uh, that are interested in certain products uh, that could be within your line. And she does a lot of the interaction just on her phone. Like she'll be, you know, laying in bed before she goes to sleep, you know, taking <laughs> taking an order and then she'll take her orders. And then the days that she's off from work and, and this she does this still at night. So I'm I'm still I'm sleeping and the lights are on. And then you hear like the 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 the, the machine printing out the vinyl. Like, come on, turn it off. I got to go to sleep, you know. And so she does <laughs> yeah, all of that. Yeah, so it's like, hello. I mean, I'm sleeping. <laughs> you need an office yourself, you know. You gotta get out of the, get out of the bedroom. Uh, so she does that, you know. But she, I don't think she's expanded upon what you talk about guerrilla marketing. She doesn't have social media. She just, I think, she has enough that she needs without going into like overload. Because if she gets too many orders, then she'll get overwhelmed, and it kind of and she doesn't right. she doesn't want to you know transition off from doing. Um, crafts full-time she still wants to hold on to her job so that comes to my question is would you ever at some point transition your side hustle to a full-time hustle yes we have thought about that um and and you're right it's hard to keep it contained to a manageable level while you're still working full-time because it's like you you get right on the brink and three years ago um before we had a um, family emergency, 
we were right on the cusp where we were like, okay, this is either going to go big or we got to back it off a little bit. And we were really going, um, I mean, the profits were up. We were, the the accountant was impressed. Um, everything was like really starting to crest. And then we had a family thing and it's like, okay, everything came to a screeching halt. And I think sometimes looking back at it, so now we've had to start kind of climbing back up to that activity level. Um, it's like I think that happened for a reason because we weren't ready to go big. And, you know, and especially it's got to be big enough if it's going to support the two of us. So it kind of was good that it backed off just a little bit. Right, so, just to give you, you know, that time to get ready. To, right, right, because you you have to decide, you know, it's like I had somebody call and wanted, you know, 24 bears for Christmas. Holy moly. And it was, and it was Thanksgiving. And it's like, I, that's not enough time. I mm. mean, it takes like 12 to 14 hours per bear yeah. to do one. And it's like, I still have to do the day job. I still have to maintain the house. I still got to take care of the husband. So it's like, I can't, you know, that would have been 24 days worth of work. And between Christmas, I mean, New Thanksgiving and Christmas, there wasn't 24 days to take off and do 24 bears. So I had to tell her, I'm really sorry. It's like, I can do some now, but then the rest are going to have to wait till after the Christ after the holidays, because I just literally do not have enough hours in the day. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> But, you know, she understood. I mean, logistically, it's like if you look at the calendar, you know, and that's part of the control thing. It's like, okay, I can't do 14 craft shows by myself. So right. for them, have product to put on the table, plus get orders, plus get bears, plus get, you know, it's like I can't do that. So I limit myself to like a show or two because um, I go up to the farmer's market um on Saturday morning because it's five dollars to have a table for four hours and I get to sit outside talk to people interact with other crafters fresh vegetables fresh fruit and get out of the house and use the other part of my brain so I love to do that but then um, if I go more than once or twice a month yeah then it gets too busy in the summer to try to keep up with work yes. and keep up with sewing. Yes, I, I know what you're saying <laughs> because <laughs> especially with, with this podcast, right? Um, when I first mm -hmm. started out uh, a year ago, um, I, I think I had about like 20 guests to record and I did all of that. And I mentioned this before, it takes for me eight hours per episode. Uh, including the recording. So like now we're recording. So it may be about like two hours or so for, for this session and then another six to eight hours to to go through it, edit it, prepare it, and send it out, right? Um, and that's per episode. And every time I record, that's another, you know, and then on top of that, I have to do my work. I have to cook and clean. I have to take care of the kids, you know, because my wife is a night shift nurse. So she ain't going to be home. Uh, you know, so I'm the guy stepping yeah. in and then that's why I have the kids at home. Um, and then I, I know what you're saying where you don't want to cross over. You know, I, I've slowly crossed over into speaking engagements 
and it's at first it was like wow it's so exciting so i did like maybe three so far and i got one more <laughs> coming up and, and then they wanted me to do one all the way up uh somewhere and i had to cancel it because of course scheduling conflicts and you know of course you have to travel that means you have to leave uh your family behind and so that's where you have you really have to draw the line and then but it's not like you're letting it go it's just the fact that you you you're getting more control of yourself because there is a total risk where like you said you know you you're at the crest as to where in terms of your business but once you uh reach a state of I guess it's too much uh, or burnout. Yeah. I think the word is burnout. Um, then everything yeah. tends to collapse at that point. Right. Because if it's, if it's not fun, if I don't enjoy doing what I do and, you know, um, this year our goal has just been to sew and cut and deal with every piece of fabric we've already got in the house. You know, we're trying not to buy anything new because we need to – you know, we can't have the stash take over the house. So. <laughs> yeah, you can't turn your your house into a warehouse. <laughs> Even though the husband thinks that we've already gone to that point and beyond. Um, you know, so it's like that's the other thing is keeping a handle on the inventory. And, you know, I have a sewing room and then I have my office. So it's like my coding stuff is in the office, but then my sewing stuff is supposed to be in the sewing room. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, which 90% of it is. But, um, but yeah, you're right. It's like if it's not fun and you don't keep a handle on where it's manageable, because if you get too tired, then it just takes the fun out of it. If somebody wanted to order from you, like you mentioned somebody wanted 24 beds, oh, 24 beds, 24 bears or 24 products, how far yeah. in advance would you need a customer to reach out to you in order to get that product out? Uh, well, you know, obviously, the more time, the better. Um, you know, like the one lady ordered the eight sets of everything. She gave me um, three months. She said, I'm not in a huge rush. She goes, just so I have them by this date. So we always want people to tell us, what is your hard and fast date? Is there a birthday? Is there a, a holiday? Is there some reason, you know, a specific date that you have to have to have it by? And then the farther ahead of that you can give us, the better. Because like one year, my sewing machine, all three of them went down. Three of them? Holy moly. Them. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. And I had to take them all in for service. And luckily, I found a repair guy that said, just bring them over. I'll work on them, and you take them back home. Because most repair places, they want to keep your sewing machine for a month. Well, I was either going to have to do that and go buy another machine or, you know, whatever. So once in a while, you know, you might have a machine malfunction like that. But um, if it's multiple bears, and like I said, you got to allow a day a bear. And if I can only work on it, you know, a couple of nights and then the weekend, obviously I got to have, you know, a month or two. Um, we try to turn them around in three weeks, but obviously more time is better. And um, for shipping or, you know, whatever we have to do to get them to them, Um we we like um you know three four weeks, um, but if it's a big order like you know 
48 or something, oh, you know, 4,000 or something, wow. then that obviously we'd have to like look at the calendar and go, okay, realistically, what can, <laughs> but um, some of them are on a case-by-case basis, but like the bears, and I think we have it on the website that we try to have a three-week turnaround. Okay, all right. That sounds like a reasonable time. I asked that because, you know, um, I know my wife does crafts again. And especially now that we're moving into the holidays, uh, she'll do like certain crafts and some people will give her like some ridiculous number and, and you know, on her days off. So like, you know, it's a cross between does she take overtime in the ER, time and a half, night differential weekend differential and then you also have to think about like how much like you know you know you know how much your bear costs but then you also have to calculate like okay if i spend this many hours on this one bear and it only costs this then you have to calculate how much per hour does it take for me what am i getting per hour to make this bear you know so when you calculate that that yeah it's like you're not making coder pay or nursing pay so like you shouldn't be putting your full effort if it's not as much as what you're making full-time yeah and and it can be a hard decision um and sometimes it just comes down to um a a gut feeling you know is and there's very emotional stories with some of the bears we've hit some nerves on things that you know we had no idea like one we made, um, she had a small piece of fabric and we had to put other fabric with it. And we ended up making him look like he was wearing her fabric, like a sweater. And come to find out her dad wore sweaters. I mean, it, and we had no idea. So it, sometimes it's just a gut feeling because we really don't make money on the memory bears because that's not the purpose of the memory right, bear. Right. Um, so it's, it's a very emotional thing. Um, I used to have the girls peek around the corner at the office when somebody would come in and um, I would make a bear delivery when I worked in the hospital billing office. And just because, um, and a few of the girls at the office did get bears, but it's so emotional when they see their article of clothing or their shirt made into a bear. It's um, it's it's really a, a special kind of a thing because no bears ever alike. I mean, they all have their own personalities and stuff. So we kind of do it for, we feel like that's our giving back kind of a thing. Um, so if we feel drawn to, to make that deadline, you know, we'll make it happen. I mean, I've, I've stayed up 24 hours making a, you know, making an order. Um, but I just, I just like felt drawn to do that. And so uh, sometimes you just kind of have to do that because it's just, it's that time and place. And I've had people go out of their way for me when I had a crisis. So I feel like sometimes I do that for other people. Right. That's your way of giving back. That's very nice. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Pay it forward. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So let's come down to, and I, I like, I like this. I, I never, you know, a lot of times when I do podcast um, episodes, sometimes the the questioning or what comes out of it out of it is not not what i expected i thought i was just going to talk mm-hmm. about crafts 
you know, but it came out so much more. I, I like these type of uh, conversations where something else comes from something like, you know, we talk about coding, but we talk about something out of coding. I didn't realize, you know, when you talk about crafts, we're talking about food, we're talking about things. There's a lot of stuff that carries into what everybody does. And I definitely appreciate this, this conversation. It was very interesting. So I have two more questions for you. Uh, first question is, what does the future hold for you, uh, your coding career, and also your company, Crafty Twins and Doubles? The future would hopefully um, hold some uh, promotion for my coding. Um, I would like to move up a little bit. Um, and like I said, my long-term goal I would like to be an auditor because then I feel like I'd have a little more flexibility, um, you know, maybe like a consultant auditing kind of thing so that I can work when I want to and take off when I want to um, because then, you know, continue with the crafts because it does give me a chance to utilize the other part of my brain and get out and talk to some very interesting people. I've met some awesome people over the years. And um, just, you know, be creative. It just, um, it brings me joy to to make things. That's nice. Um, one thing I wanted to mention is that you you have a, I guess, education as a legal assistant, right? Is that what you, you mentioned previously? Yeah. Okay, so I forgot about that. Um, one thing that I, that in previous episodes um, that people have come out to talk about is utilizing their coding skills in the legal side, uh, being utilized by attorneys uh, for their coding knowledge, uh, especially in doing some form of audit. So that's that's one thing I wanted to, to kind of, I don't know if you ever thought about doing that, but I've heard people doing that as coders utilizing their skills uh, on the judicial side or like more like forensics, yeah, that- forensic auditing or something like that. Yeah. I thought about that years ago, and I had kind of forgotten about it. Um, I know some people have gone, like, to um, code for insurance companies, like for, you know, auditing claims and things like that, you know, on the backside. But, um, yeah, I think um, I think the legal field is very interesting, and I always enjoyed it. Um, so working from that side, if the opportunity ever came um I would certainly look into doing that. Yeah, oh, that's that's the one thing that came into mind when you mentioned that. All right, so our last question for today is: uh, what 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 best words of advice could you give to our audience? To be effective as a coder, you have to be a curious detective because you know there's a code for whatever illness, and even now more so with the ICD-10 you can find a better code for whatever the doctor's trying to describe. So if you're not a curious person and you don't enjoy the hunt and the constant learning, you're not going to like being a coder. Okay. And what about uh, any advice for those that are interested in maybe a side hustle or maybe (laughs) doing crafts like yourself? The, the side hustle, I I found that I like doing it because it's a way to get me up out of the desk and see other people, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, and just 
use other skills and the other parts of my brain that I don't get to do all the time. It's different. It's never the same. Every craft show is different. Um, I love looking for fabrics. I love touching the and walking through the store and just going up and down because you always find some really cool, interesting print and color scheme. And that's what appeals to me is the very visual and the tactile touching. So that's why I love to sew because I get to work with all these different fabrics and colors. So it's something that I really, really enjoy. And I think a side hustle should be something that brings you joy because um, if you have a bad day coding and it's been really sad, horrific cases that you're coding, you need something to put you back into your happy place. Well, there you have it. That is my episode with Karen Tolbert. Again, if you want to find out more about Karen and Crafty Twins and Doubles, all you have to do is check out the show notes by going to medicalcodinggeek.com slash podcast. Not Elsewhere Classified is presented and produced by Medical Coding Geek. Music was brought to you by 43 and Coyote Hearing. Medical Coding Geek offers tutoring and media services for the medical coding, health information, and CDI community. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MED Coding Geek. That's MED Coding Geek. You can also find us on our website, medicalcodinggeek.com, where you can find and listen to all the podcast episodes plus the show notes from today. Make sure to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. We would definitely appreciate it. And again, thank you for being part of this podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kui, and you have just listened to Not Elsewhere Classified. MedicalCodingGeek.com